welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Okay, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. And today we've got Dr. Billy Kingery, a research and teaching professor in plant soil sciences here at Mississippi State University. Uh, Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. I'm very excited. Um, And today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of soil and soil management. So your specialty area is soil science? Yes, I actually, uh, the way that I phrase it is I like to put agronomy first. Okay. Um, those are the degrees, and I that's that's the one that I hold to the strongest, actually. And always add a, a hyphen soil science as being the area of agronomy that I focus on. So that's that's kind of how I have it in my mind, at least. That's really important, <laughs> I, and I know that I know that especially in the agronomic sciences, that's really important because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't have an agronomy degree. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that along those lines, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and the evolution of your career in soil research, so that we can better understand kind of the path you took and and the career that you've had up until this point? Well, I guess the career, like most of us, <laughs> including you, uh, starts with where we started in uh, postgraduate work, graduate school. So uh, the master's degree was at LSU where I did an irrigation scheduling project, cotton, and that was in Louisiana. I didn't and know then, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, a lot of uh, sidetracks here and there, but uh, wound up Uh, at Auburn uh, working with uh, animal waste management but the sort of more fundamental part of that was really the uh, it's really biogeochemistry of a carbon cycle which is which underpins the management of of organic material of any kind Um, and then uh, wound up over here and continued fundamentally to work with the biogeochemistry of the carbon cycle in one way or another Um, and uh, wound up becoming much more refined at a more molecular level of, of that kind of work, looking at uh, the chemistry of organic matter, using a lot of advanced spectroscopies and so forth. Then backed off to a much bigger scale of some watershed considerations where we're looking at water quality, where uh, BOD, biochemical oxygen demand, and those kinds of things, again, related to carbon and nutrients and so forth, came into play. And then um, from there, went back down the scale again to look at the uh, organisms, the microbes that really drive that carbon cycle. So I guess that's the way that I would put it. So, yeah. <laughs> kind of wild. <laughs> well, you know, there's so many things I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that you'd done the circuit here in the SEC schools in terms <laughs> of Louisiana, LSU, and then Auburn, and then over here. Yeah. Uh, you're not originally from Louisiana, are you? No. Um, born in North Carolina, <laughs> ah. grew up in uh, East Texas for the most part. Okay, that's where we had a cow-calf operation and the farm work and farm so experience started. So you lived started. on a farm too. Okay. Well, close enough. We yeah. were on it enough, and then um, we moved my last couple of years of high school to Louisiana, and then I was uh, late getting back from my freshman year in college. Uh, for a job, so I got a tractor driving job on a 5,000 acre soybean plantation. So you have some farm, yeah. direct and farm the, experience. Yeah, and the farm manager had a degree in agriculture. I didn't know 
that's that, interesting. That, that that even existed. So he started talking to me about that, and that's <laughs> that yeah. led to degrees in agriculture. Yeah, that's really interesting. Those small summer jobs can do that, yeah. can't they? Yeah. Like the yeah. seemingly most insignificant experience yeah. can yeah. be the biggest. Yeah. Um, the career path doesn't entirely surprise me, though, since I work in similar biogeochemistry and um, environmental science that that overlap mm-hmm. what you what you do definitely um, and then you realize it's all connected yes. so then it's really easy to go down every pathway that mm-hmm. it connects to yeah. like you just want to n- understand how all of it works yeah once you once you really say oh this is the central core and like you say here are the connections and then then you go yeah you almost can't stop mm-hmm. and then your spouse wonders what you're doing at night <laughs> <laughs> or in the early morning yeah <laughs> like i'm just reading yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting and i know in later episode episodes we're going to get more into uh i guess a little bit about a little bit of that molecular work in the ecology yeah. but for this episode we wanted to stick with peeling out your knowledge of the history of soil management um and so I guess an alternative, um, an al- alternative title for this episode could be a lesson on how America was built or the economic <laughs> stability of nations, something like that, something really cheeky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll stick with the history of soil and, soil and soil management, although I don't know if we'd get as many listeners uh, as <laughs> if we b- made it economic-based. Um, but, you know, soils and many of the foundations of economic enterprises are built on mined or grown natural resource natural resources, whether it's from soils or deeper geological layers, which you know much more about than I do. Um, but let's focus on the history of soils in the United States since about the 1900s, because most folks are not that familiar with farming and how mm-hmm. it changes the soil um, in uh, in different ways. Um, but most folks aren't really familiar, even though we all take U.S. history. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to talk a lot about the Industrial Revolution and uh, a little bit about farming, but Mm -hmm. we're somewhat disconnected from that history now, and it's so important. So I wanted to to discuss the evolution of soil management. So can you walk us through from about the 1900s? Well, actually, if you'll let me... You can start where you want to. I'll go back earlier (laughs) than that, which is where I tend to go in my thinking, at least in the United States, which is a colonial period, well, and, and even earlier, because... Uh, if you if you read some of the histories uh, of of the colonial days, um, new ground was synonymous with tobacco ground, and that uh, was largely responsible for the plantations that we had in colonial because they needed large tracts of land because as they cleared land for tobacco production, uh, the soil was fertile the first years of cultivation of tobacco, and then the soils became degraded. They ran out of the natural store of organic matter and the source of nutrient, which again is based on that biogeochemistry, the the cycling of carbon and nutrients that they relied on to for the nutrients for tobacco. When that played out, they needed new ground. They needed fresh organic matter, basically. So they needed large tracts of land, and they needed uh, a certain kind of labor to clear that land. So you see the social structure in the colonies based on organic matter. And again, these played out pretty quickly because these are forest soils, and forest soils actually have a fairly thin layer of organic matter. Most of the carbon in forest is in the standing vegetation. It's not till you get to the Midwest that you get the deep grassland soils 
where the organic matter is feet thick. So you can see the connections uh, between the uh, natural resources, the processes of natural resources, and, and the social and economic structure from the beginning. So then that takes you, of course, then that moves you forward. Well, you can, at, at the point actually, you can, you can think about things that are a quest for increased yields. Mm-hmm. Is, how, is how we could put it. What are we going to do? What can we do to increase yields? And that's, that was the big break, really, if you go all the way back to the movement from foraging to cultivation or agriculture. And so uh, Vaclav Schmil, who writes a lot about these sorts of things, food and energy and so forth, he identifies three main processes that you're looking at. And one is replacing human labor. First part was animal, okay? and then nutrients and water, so Mm -hmm. fertilization and irrigation. So really, energy comes into play in soil management at the first point, because if we're talking about animal labor, the first thing you're talking about is plowing, and that was for soil tilth, seedbed preparation, and then application of nutrients through through, uh, manures, so forth and so on, and then irrigation, which is an ancient practice, actually. Mm -hmm. So it's been a steady progression of more and more sophisticated uses of energy uh, to the application of soil management practices. Now we have tractors replacing human labor, and now we can, we can bring into play another general concept, which is information. And you, yeah. can see, you can see that now with precision farming and things like yield monitors, um, precision applicators, on-the-go sensors that are on the ground or remote sensing and so forth. So information, which was always there um, Mm -hmm. in a certain way, uh, including the application of scientific principles in farming, um, has now been put more into the hands of the producers themselves and consultants and advisors and so forth. So so that ongoing quest of increased yield with the soil management, looking for the proper soil tilth, nutrients, and water. Then we would also add the things that we do in soils to control pests. Tillage is important in, uh, con- uh, in managing the residue, which can be habitat for pests, um, mm-hmm. also weed control, and those sorts of things. So it's expanded, but I think the, the soil management can be thought of, in my opinion, as two foundational principles of society at large, which is utilization of energy and information. Yeah, that's that's the perfect background, the perfect <laughs> layout of the history of not only agronomy, but in relation to soil and soil management um, and how it really serves as uh, the, the foundation of, as you mentioned, um, not only some economic stability, livelihood for um, so many Americans, uh, a major major export, so it puts us on a global market. Um, and it all starts, as you mentioned, with the soil that grows wh- whatever um, product is going to come out of it. And of course, I love the history too about start about it starting in tobacco because I think we forget that because right now we're so focused on corn and soybean mm-hmm. and you know cotton's mixed in there in the history too we still grow some cotton it was it's not as uh, robust as it was earlier in the century mm-hmm. um, but we talk so much about corn and soybeans now you almost forget about tobacco <laughs> at least <laughs> I, I do <laughs> um, yeah so the the history was good in walking us through it because in many ways. 
those technological advances, you mentioned the mechanization, the information that we have, um, it's exponentially increased the amount of food, fiber, and fuel that can be produced mm-hmm. on a per acre basis. Mm-hmm. And, and in large production farming, when it's based on profitability and, and sometimes productivity, that's the goal is to increase yield mm-hmm. and to increase profitability. Um, another another um, place uh, where these uh, notions of energy and information, particularly information, uh, intersect on this quest, I'll call it, for intensification or increased yield is the biology. And information comes into play, you know, in in an enormous way in terms of developing new cultivars Mm -hmm. and so forth. And those obviously intersect with soil management. In other words, the Green Revolution is largely a management of these inputs in combination with new cultivars that did well under those regimes. Soils people can get uh, a little caught up in our soils below ground and forget uh, that biological component, which is why we're ultimately interested in soils. And that's why I want to always tend to put agronomy first, is because our ultimate interest is, is that plant that's our sustenance. Yes, and for our listeners who are not agronomists, the Green Revolution is not referring to some sustainable <laughs> adventure that we've went on in terms of no, in terms of no. greening. Uh, <coughs> agronomists refer to the Green Revolution in terms of uh, those n- the the ability to to um, develop new cultivars cultivars using biotechnology as well as um, the synthesizing of fertilizers alongside. Am I using correct? using uh, at the time uh, and and. Uh, this was pioneered by Norman Borlaug, who won a Nobel Prize, Peace Prize, for his efforts uh, to utilize um, uh, economic, e- economic and available resources, fertilizers and so forth, for higher yields, and to develop cultivars that could be managed to take advantage of those inputs. And the alleviation of poverty, of hunger and so forth, as a result of those kinds of technological advances is astronomical it's amazing yeah so those folks that aren't familiar with agronomy we've got the mechanization uh you know before the 1900s in utilizing um mechanical tillage to increase yields and clear land and produce food on a large scale and then around the 1970s we also have the green revolution utilizing that biotechnology and synthetic fertilizers to again exponentially increase the amount of food we can produce and therefore alleviate hunger and so Mm -hmm. contributing all to really um, human population growth on a global scale but also the amount of food we can produce and so as we keep bringing that yield up uh, we keep having higher expectations and it in one way that's great because it does support um, the human population in another way that's complex and difficult um, because that comes at an environmental cost um, because these resources come from somewhere mm-hmm. somewhere in the biosphere <laughs> um, or the atmosphere I should say um, yeah so that is the, I'm glad you made that point that's very very important um, and the mechanization the technology is fantastic um, it's very important to the way we produce food and fiber and fuel now um, but it's somewhat shifted away from focusing on soil management because, as you mentioned, it's, it's tailored at the crop, the plant itself, in producing that plant. 
Um, so often now when we utilize technologies like that, it, we don't talk as much about soil management. Soil is something we manipulate to produce the plant. Um, and so there can be some trade-offs there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any that come specifically well, to mind? Well, uh, yeah, and, and uh, you bring up a great point. Um, I, th- I think there is some movement, um, uh, some very strong movement, actually, on soil management because of the realization, and, and I think it's uh, motivated to a large extent of the increasing costs of input, which again are linked to energy. As energy becomes more expensive, the production, the acquisition and production of these inputs become more expensive. And so if you're relying on increased yields of these more costly inputs, uh, it leads you um, to think more carefully about how to be become more efficient with those inputs mm-hmm. and how to adapt to an inc- increased price of those, uh, cost of those inputs. And in some cases where we're talking about groundwater, for example, agricultural water, uh, a diminishing resource as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Along those same lines, when we have this incredible technology, which although, you know, we both use technology and it can be overwhelming, you know, it's, there's only so, so, so much new technology you can use and it, and there's a learning curve to using it mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. It takes a good amount of time. There's also a good amount of time invested if you're a business owner in understanding the different inputs, all the different types of new chemicals on the market, all the different forms of fertilizers you might put on that match whatever crop you're producing. So mm-hmm. there's a ton of person, a ton of information around around mm-hmm. those inputs. But as we shift towards those, do you think that there's less focus on those foundational soil and water components. Um, I don't. I don't think so. Actually, okay. I think. I think the they're they're gaining in attention. Um, and the the one place um, uh, that I that I don't know uh, gets enough attention, and another reason why I like to to hold on to the term agronomy, is to think about the farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, because we get caught up in science and so forth, and we, th- we think about technology, methodologies for monitoring things or studying and so forth. And these, these work because they're brought to bear on this problem of, of uh, effectively uh, producing food, feed, and fiber. And it's the farmer that integrates all of that in particular ways. So sometimes I ask in classes, classes ask students, is farming an art or a science? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good discussion on that. Um, and the, the generally what they fall on is that it's a combination of the two. Yeah. And so uh, the, the farm enterprise proceeds because of the goals and objectives of the farm or the farm family. So that's really what, that's really what drives how these technologies are being used. And, and, and like things that we study that are so complex we can't know everything, uh, it seems to me, we'd have to talk to the economists, they would know yeah. better, but it seems to me that it's really difficult to know all of the factor that goes into a farmer's farm family decisions for how they do, because I don't know that I buy the idea. Sometimes people tell me that are not farmers. Mm-hmm. They say, well, some farmers are doing things because that's the way that their grandparents did it or so forth. I don't know that that's even possible, 
because they're yeah. using things that are current and they're they're in business with today's technology mm-hmm. and and I think that happens in our lives we know some things that are dramatic changes upgrades and iPhones and those sorts of things but there are certain things that we rely on that that uh, are sort of invisible to us but they're there and we're utilizing them I'm laughing um, only because as someone who works in extension and extensions all about outreach um, public education extending knowledge to the general public so that people can make smart decisions and make a living is there anything more complex than human decision making? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really hard to explain why someone makes a decision um, and so many factors that go into that. And, and for me, um, more than being impressed with the advance in technology is to be impressed with the way far- farmers can manage all of these mm-hmm. sorts of things. Yeah, every time I'm on a farm and I'm learning more about <laughs> the growing process, uh, all the different tools, technologies, equipment, products, and uh, that, that's involved with just one crop, let alone if they're growing three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I, it's it's overwhelming, and then yeah. and then you you wonder, you know, how much of the general public understands yeah. the yeah. complexity of growing food, let alone the whole other battle it is to even grow an organic product. Um, Because that's a whole other ball game, too. Uh, That's a little off topic. But getting back to soil itself, um, because you mentioned there are some great movements that are highlighting, again, the management of soil and water. Um, And as we know, history tends to repeat itself a little bit. So uh, what are some lessons learned or challenges faced Especially, you know, I'm thinking I'm thinking about the Dust Bowl when soil management became, for the first time, a really big deal in the United States. And here we are again, 2018, 2019, with another whole movement in soil health um, around these complex issues that we've kind of touched on. Mm-hmm. We'll get more in depth in future episodes on. Uh, but there's some fundamental lessons that we've learned and challenges that we face in terms of managing soil that could warrant a good bit of education and research too mm-hmm. as we move forward do you have any thoughts on that particularly well again i would actually go back earlier <laughs> on okay things. go back go there's back, a back. there's a there's a great quote patrick henry uh, uh-huh. uh right after the american revolution so i made a note because it's one of my favorites he said uh, since the achievement of our independence he is the greatest patriot who stops the most gullies so there was some thing, there was some important that, thing, I like that. <laughs> recognition uh, <laughs> early on. Um, but you you used a word uh, earlier that um, I I use a lot. In fact, I've used it as the um, the subheading of all my uh, courses. I call it uh, no free lunch, but you use the word trade offs, mm-hmm. and I I I feel like that's. That's the place in in general terms. I mean, I'm not able to, I don't know enough to talk about all of this, you know, details of where we need to be looking and exactly how we should be looking. Mm -hmm. But I think trade-off speaks to uh, a lot of that. So that we're looking for where we're recognizing that things that we, everything we do, all systems have Mm -hmm. trade-offs. We can see that through both uh, thermodynamics and 
and I think the the concept of homeostasis in biology capture that pretty good for a way for for societal metaphors as well, if not direct application. Yeah. Um, so the first law of thermodynamics is conservation of mass, momentum, and energy. So what that points to is you just don't get a free lunch. There's a trade-off somewhere. So how do how do we manage, how do we utilize technology, where do we look and what do we do so that we make as many trade-ups as we can? Yeah. And over what time frame do you look? How long is long enough to look? Uh, there's a great story, I think, on sustainability going back to Mesopotamia, the origins of agriculture where they were irrigating um, as far back as 1800 BC and earlier. Um, and so they had two crops, wheat and barley, and they produced higher yields with irrigation, but they didn't know about salt in the irrigation water. So over a thousand year period, they increased salt enough that the wheat wouldn't grow and they were forced to barley. And they weren't doing anything wrong. They were increasing yields, adding water, that's soil management, you're mm-hmm. replacing the soil water. But how long is long enough? to take a look at things. And so I think that couples with the idea of trade-offs and how do we get better at recognizing what are the the short-term contingencies Mm -hmm. and what are the long-range goals and how do we we trade up as much as we can? Yeah, I think that's one of the most important points we could make um, in terms of those trade-offs and understanding them Mm -hmm. as we continue to make management decisions. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much. (laughs) This has been wonderful, and I know we'll be having you back. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.com. Edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.